0: We've become comfortable, we've become complacent. We are no longer asked to come to the table on those hot button issues that affect our country. No longer is the church asked about marriage. Our marriages is just as bad as theirs. No longer are we asked about social justice issues because we don't like each other just as much as they don't like each other. No longer are racial discussions on how to love each other discussed in the church or even the church sought to ask what is God's word? Because we've lost the moral ground. We've become comfortable. We've become complacent. And perhaps it takes the miracle of persecution to cause us also to move.
1: Happy Monday, my friends, and thanks for tuning in to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam Parham. I'm the host of this show. I appreciate you listening. I've got some exciting news to announce to you guys. Um, when we first started this podcast, we wanted to do more than just share the the sermons from the weekend here at live church can we wanted to uh have some some content that would that would come out during the middle of the week um from time to time to just help bring some more uh energy and life to the podcast so next week um we're gonna have the first one of those episodes that's kind of a bonus episode in this series that we're doing called seen and unseen um actually going to be a Facebook live event, but I'm going to make it available on the podcast as well. So make sure to tune in on our Facebook page. This Friday, we're going to have a question and answer time um, with some of the pastors. I think it's going to be super powerful. Um, If you're not following our page, go over there and follow it. It's linked in the show notes below. Uh, But in the meantime, here's Daniel preaching week number four of Seen and Unseen. Enjoy.
0: Good evening, folks. How are you? Good, good, good. I am happy to be here. Um, my name is Daniel. And as you know, I am one of your newest pastors. And I am, I am super duper excited um, to be here with you. Um, yeah, man, it's been a long journey, but here we are, huh? About to be family. Can't, can't send me back to the factory now, folks. I'm here. I'm here to stay um, as we look for a new house. So, you know, I know you, they sang about breaking every chain, but there's a chain I need broken, which is a chain to not find a good house because it seems like the market is a little rough out there. So if you would pray with me on that, that'd be super appreciated. All right, folks. Um, so um, you obviously are finding us in the middle of a series. Um, if you're new, we're continuing a series on miracles. A title, Seen and Unseen, Um, and four weeks ago, Pastor Nathan began that series with a discussion on what he called believing is seen. Um, Essentially, that, that sermon was meant to remind us of what miracles are, sort of give us an overview of what miracles are, and he was reminding us that we are called to believe in God in the anticipation of miracles and even in the absence of miracles, Um, And next came Pastor Jared who shared with you on the miracle of unity, reminding us that unity itself was a miracle from God, miraculous to bring diverse people of different walks, different lives together under the banner of Christ. That's a great miracle. And then followed up by Pastor Nathan, because he couldn't get enough of the word, um, was another sermon on the miracle of healing, reminding us that miracles are still commonplace but that it was God's prerogative of when and how and if he was to perform a miracle. And so my task today is to speak to you about the topic of the miracle of persecution. Now I understand that sounds like a contradiction of terms. When you think of miracles, you don't think persecution. But my task is to show you uh, in scripture that there is a miracle in persecution and how that fleshes out. So if you would stand with me as we read God's word, we will be in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We'll be in verse 1b um, all the way to 13. So 1 to 13. If you're there, say amen. If you need some time, say slow your roll. Okay, all right, cool. So Acts chapter 8, verse 1b to 13. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down into Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were given attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in cases, those who had unclean spirits had the spirits come out of them shouting, and those who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, there was a particular man, a man named Simon, who was formerly practicing magic in that city, and he was astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were given attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were given attention to him because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and he observed the signs and great miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your eternal truth. We thank you for this ancient word that is ever new, that is changing me and changing everyone around me. We thank you, God, that your word still matters and still means much today. Now, God, we pray that the Spirit of God would use the word of God to reveal to us the glorious will of God. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. So as I said, we're continuing this series. You may be seated. You guys are just wonderful Christians right there. I love it. (laughs) You may be seated. I bet you do good at work. You follow directions. Well, thank you. Um, But we are continuing this message, uh, this this series, if you will, on miracles. And as I said, my task is to show you the miracle of persecution. But before we do that, let's define some terms. What exactly is persecution? And I want to do that in three ways. I want to give you a definition of persecution, a description of persecution. And then where we're gonna spend most of our time this evening is on the design of persecution or the purpose of persecution. So let's look at the definition. The Greek word that's used here is the word diagmos. It means to intentionally pursue or chase someone down in order to harass or harm them, typically for racial or religious reasons. Persecution, as seen in the Bible, is intended by the persecutor to cause the one being persecuted to renounce their faith in Christ, to walk away from Christ. Persecution is is, is the, the intentional, systematic, if you will, chasing down of a group of people or a person to cause them to reject whether it's their race or it's their religious identity. Here's the description that we find in Scripture. So that was the definition. Here's a description. And for that, 1 Peter chapter 2 helps us with that. Peter speaking to the Christians in the diaspora. You've heard that word before. That's those who have been dispersed and spread out through all of Judea and Samaria. He speaks to the diaspora in a very particular time. The context behind this is during the reign of the emperor Nero. Who was killing and murdering Christians? He would literally light Christians on fire just so they can light up his garden. He would put blood on them and put them in front of lions to eat and devour them. He would, he would cut them apart, sow them to put them in the middle of trees and cut them in pieces. They were being persecuted. And Peter writes to these people and says, For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Peter has given us a description of what persecution is not persecution is not when you sin commit a crime and you go to jail or you've received the consequences of those that's not what persecution is Peter goes further and says but if when you do what's right and you suffer for it and you do it patiently enduring it this finds favor with God verse 21 of that same chapter says for You have been called to this purpose. What purpose? To suffer, as it were. And he says, since Christ also suffered for you, living you an example to follow in his steps. Uh, Peter is saying here that persecution is not when you do wrong and you get the pain of that, the justice of that, nor is persecution going to be different from what your Lord and Savior Jesus experienced on our behalf. Peter further does that in chapter 4 of the same epistle. Peter says in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange was happening to you. Persecution should not surprise the Christian. Jesus said it this way, they hated me, they will hate you. Not because you stole Not because you murdered, not because you broke the law, but because you are loving people like I have called you to love people. So Peter describes, Peter goes further here in verse 15. And Peter says, just to kind of underline my point, Peter says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed. But it is to the glory of God in that name. You have to understand the context that in that day, being called a Christian got you murdered. And so Peter says here, your persecution should be because you are called by the name of Christ, not because you've harmed someone, not because you've taken advantage of someone, and not because you're being cruel and you receive your just desserts. That's a description of persecution. Persecution. Now where we're gonna camp out here is the design of persecution. We are pushing the point that persecution is a miracle. Let's see the design or the purpose that God uses persecution for. If you will look at me in verse 1b, you see here, it says, and on that day, a great persecution. How many of you know that a great persecution is worse than a regular persecution? This is a supersized persecution, if you will, right? This is a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. That word scattered is where we get the word diaspora from. They were all dispersed. They were all broadcasted. It's a term that speaks of seeds being sprayed out. They were all broadcasted throughout Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. And then it goes further, and it reminds us that they were pushed out. And they were, they were moved. And so our first point here is how we see persecution in the church. It's three things that I want to give you this evening, which is persecution causes the church to be moved. Persecution causes the church to be missional. And persecution causes the church to be multiplied. Persecution causes the church to be moved. They were moved out of what? Into what? They were moved out of their comfort zone and out of their complacency. The church was moved out of that which was comfortable. Now you have to understand what's going on here. Up until this point, the church had experienced great success. 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. Another 5,000 saved a few chapters later. And if you include women and children, because oftentimes in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in those days they did not include women and children in the numbers. If you were to include women and children in the numbers in the first few months of the church, 24,000 Christians. That's time to party, y'all. We went from 120 folks to 24,000 In a matter of weeks, of course we get comfortable. I love the way that Pastor John said it earlier. He said that comfort stalls the advancement of God's kingdom. When you get so comfortable, you get complicit. The church had experienced great success. They had experienced great growth in its inception. Miracles were normal. The the sick were healed. The lame received their legs back, and the blind saw, saw again. Great love flowed through the church. They had all things in communion. They were connected. There were no needs that were felt that wasn't met. People loved each other, cared for each other. They went beyond racial identity, beyond ethnic identity, to just loving you in the name of Jesus. Amen, somebody. That's exciting. A great time. But as some writer would say, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. That joy, that success, that great and huge influence and impact that they had, so much so that the Roman world was afraid of the church throwing, overthrowing the, the kingdom. It moved the church into a complacency, a comfort. In fact, the church was so comfortable that they began to pull back on the mission that God has sent them. The church in America today is that way. We've become comfortable. We've become complacent. We are no longer asked to come to the table on those hot button issues that affect our country. No longer is the church asked about marriage. Our marriages is just as bad as theirs. No longer are we asked about social justice issues because we don't like each other just as much as they don't like each other. No longer are racial discussions on how to love each other Disgust in the church or even the church sought to ask, what is God's word? Because we've lost the moral ground. We've become comfortable. We've become complacent. And perhaps it takes the miracle of persecution to cause us also to move. But God used persecution first to move the church. Yes, geographically, but now you will see secondly, God uses persecution to cause the church to move missionally. What do I mean by missionally? When we talk about missions, we speak about the active movement of the church to share the gospel, to bring the gospel to other people. It's what's called in Matthew the Great Commission. God given through Christ the mission to go and live out the gospel. The Great Commission says, as you go, Share the gospel, causing them to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son, and teaching them to be learners of me, disciples of me. It's a commission of the church. Watch what happens here. Look in chapter 1 of Acts. Chapter 1 of Acts says it this way. Jesus said, but you, speaking to his disciples, you will receive power from on high, from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witness to Jerusalem. And in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the world. In fact, the church got so comfortable, they began to disobey God in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. They were stuck in Jerusalem. Look at verse 1 again. He says, and on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. Where were they? Jerusalem. They had been called to go to the entire world. Sure, you receive success. Sure, you've got 24,000 members, maybe even more because there are some other passages in Acts that point at multitudes being saved. Let's just say happy round number, 30,000 Christians strong in Jerusalem, and y'all were just stuck in a holy huddle. No movement. Persecution caused them to be moved to what God was doing. They were good with the status quo. They weren't open to change. God was moving, and they were stagnant. God was doing something and rather than asking how I could join, how I could accomplish it, how I could move into the mission, they were stagnant. Oh yeah, they were having service. They were probably holy and and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. But they weren't doing the mission that God called them to reach everybody, especially those who didn't look like you. That was the gospel. That they were, yes, you were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But until persecution came, the church been stagnant. They were disobeying the Lord while obeying the Lord. Isn't that funny? They were attending church, attending service, loving on their fellow Christians. But they weren't going forth in the mission of the church. Persecution caused them to be moved. Persecution caused them to be missional. And now persecution caused them to be multiplied look with me if you will in verse 6 through 13 they were spread out and then it hones in on this certain man named philip in verse 5 philip went down to the city of samaria and began proclaiming what christ as a little tidbit look at verse 4 it says therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching you know whenever you see therefore in the bible it means that this is a result of what came before The point of this text is that if it had not been for persecution, they would not have gone. Not only would they not have gone, he was saying that these people were persecuted, but the God of the Bible was so working in their lives that they saw persecution as a great opportunity to relocate and bring the gospel with us. Amen, somebody. Because when you get persecuted as a believer of Christ, you're asking yourself a question. If God is truly sovereign, then this didn't catch him by surprise. And if it didn't catch him by surprise, I should act like I've been here before. Persecution made them move, made them missional, and now multiply. The mission was not 24,000 in a city or 30,000 in a city. The mission was take the world for Christ. That was the mission. And the church was not multiplying. In fact, I can argue that multiplication stopped if at the the best case it slowed down at least, that they were having numbers being added to them daily. Jerusalem ain't but so big. Once you get to 30,000, folks, you start to see cousins and aunts and relatives all over again. The church is like that. Even in America, it's a revolving door sometimes of people moving from one church to another versus us taking the gospel to the world. God multiplied it. Multiplication had stopped and ceased or slowed in some way. It's very interesting that the very thing that was meant to destroy the church was used to deploy the church. The destruction of the church was in the sight of those who were persecuting. But God said, no, this is a holy deployment. What you meant for evil, I meant for good. Genesis fifty twenty, that it may bring about the salvation of many people. It's bigger than us. Once you get myopic and you think it's about you, You come into your holy huddle, and you don't go out. No one else can come in. Oh, if you join us, you've got to look like us. You've got to assimilate. No, we're bringing diverse people together. Remember what Pastor Jerry said? Unity is not the same with uniformity or conformity. It's God taking diverse people from different walks of life to a place that is filled with grace and truth. Where grace and truth meet is the church. And God uses this great tool miraculously that was meant to destroy to now deploy his people out to the ends of the world in fulfillment of what he told them from day one. Persecution caused the church to be moved, caused the church to be missional, to be on mission, to seek to share and live out the gospel. I love the way that St. Augustine says it. At all times, preach the gospel, and if needs be, you can use words. It means you're preaching the gospel with your actions. I'm living with Rich and and, and Sue right now, and folks, you don't understand. That's the gospel, that you got a Nigerian in your home, that you never knew from Adam. But we have more in common than some of my folks who are not saved. Amen? We've got Jesus in common. Which means there is a mutuality that we cannot avoid even if we try to. That God is doing something in his people that people who otherwise would not walk together, talk together, are now the best of friends. Do you know how that preaches to the world? Especially in this climate that we're in. That Christians who don't look anything like each other are moving together, are being missional together, and are being multiplied together. That's the work of God, and it is a miracle. The Bible says it this way. It is a marvelous thing in our sight when God moves. We ought to marvel at that. Persecution caused them to be moved. It caused them to be missional, and it caused them to be multiplying. Well, my sister Abby asked me a question yesterday, and this is the why. If we were in Korea right now, in China, I would not have to convince you of persecution. Persecution. You would see it and you would experience it. And guess what's happening? In those places, the church is growing. Interesting. Persecution comes in, the church grows. Why would I be talking to us in America about persecution? Is it because it's coming and I want to be able to give you a reference sermon that you can pull up on YouTube one day and be like, hey, he preached about persecution 10 years ago. Sure. That'll work. It's what they call a collateral damage, if you will. But beyond that, I am hoping that we would not have to wait to be persecuted for us to get on the move. My prayer is that God's people are moved to action in the mission of God to multiply his church without having to be prompted and prodded by the instrument of persecution. That we would learn from the old church, the first church, on how the right now church ought to be. That we would move out of our comfort zones, out of our complacency, and even out of our corruption as a church and move into the mission that God has called us for. That's my hope. If it takes persecution for us to move, that says a lot about where we are spiritually right now. But let it be said that we learn from examples And we moved into God's mission. And as God always does, he honors his word. Because some plant and some water, but God gives the increase. And God does the multiplication. He will multiply our influence and our impact in this world. Stand with me as we pray. Maybe you are a Christian. And prayerfully, you know the Lord and you've heard that. I'm encouraging you to be moved by God's truth and not wait for persecution. That's good enough. That's good enough for those of us who believe in the truth of God and in the truth of Scripture, that he is calling us to have the commission. I'm not calling all of us to be martyrs and to die for the gospel. I'm asking you to live for the gospel. The gospel that says that Christ died for you, the unrighteous, was given life by the death of the righteous. But if you're not here and you're not a Christian, if you are here and you're not a Christian, and you're saying to yourself, this Christian thing is already something I'm not interested in, so now you add into this, 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 this icing of persecution. Brother, I don't, I don't know if I want that. Let me tell you what works on my heart. I'd rather be persecuted for a few years than be prosecuted for eternity. I would rather stand now with Christ and lose the world than gain the whole world and lose my very soul. You get persecuted now, and it might not even be in our time. But there is a natural stigma that comes from being a Christian. There's some things we can't do. There's some, some, some luxuries we don't have. I don't have the luxury to hate another human being because one who loved me died and gave himself for me haven't experienced that much love how could I hate somebody else how could I dislike or even if you want to make it a little nicer how can I be disinterested in the goodness of somebody else but there is coming a day when we all will stand before God and he will ask that ultimate question why should I let you into my heaven and you your life will be played on a screen I assume better than HD better than 4k because it's heaven's screen but your life is played before you and you lived your best life you've had the best that you can do you sought the goodness of life than, rather than the God of life at that time folks you would be hoping for persecution hell is real the Bible says so it is not some ethereal place the Bible is very clear on what hell is And all I'm asking is this. If you're in a place where you have doubts, we welcome doubts. I want to have that conversation with you. No one who dare calls themselves a Christian or a pastor should be afraid of having real conversations with real people about real doubts that they have about the Bible. Because can I be honest? I've had them too. Some days I still do, but I dig and I'm intellectually honest to try to find the answers. Amen? And maybe you're beyond that. Maybe God's already been tugging on your heart and you're like, this preacher's just wasting my time. Get me to Jesus, amen. Let me get out the way as best as I can. Let me just say this to you. Wherever you are right now, ask for God to show you who he is. Because what I've learned is that anybody who's ever encountered God throughout all of scripture They have never been the same. Watch out for people who encounter God and remain the same or get worse. I don't know who you saw, but it wasn't the Lord. So if you are here, wherever you are, seek him. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if it resonates with you, you pray it too. Because salvation is very much individual. I can't lead you to God, that's between you and God. But once you come into the family, I can love you like nobody else. Because we are family. Because we've been loved with a great love. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that even in persecution, we are with you and you are with us. Uh, Father, I would be remiss to not pray for our brothers and sisters in other countries who are currently experiencing persecution. Who are being martyred and murdered who are in jails and cells and penitentiaries, not because they've done anything wrong, but because they dare name the name of Jesus. Father, there are people here that I suspect some of us may be called to missions at some point. Some of us may be evangelists at some point. And Father, all of us who are here remind us of the fact that the comforts that we feel in America is but by your grace. We need not forget our brothers and sisters who are struggling across the seas. God, I pray for all souls who are here, those who know you and those who do not, that you would draw us close to you, that we would understand your design for persecution, that you use it to move us to action, whether that's to move us towards you for salvation or move us towards you for sanctification, to call us towards you closer and closer and closer. The church in America doesn't experience currently true persecution but I pray God that it doesn't take that to cause us to move in action to move in loving and caring for others, to seek to embrace the marginalized and the maligned help this church Life Church Canton to be a great example of what it looks like when grace and truth meet in the church help us now in Jesus name, Amen
1: Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below, and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at LifeChurchCan.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcast. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.